Welcome into another episode of Real Pod Wednesdays. I'm Dan Hope, joined by Colin Haas Hill. As always, a very big week here for Ohio State football, getting ready to play the annual rivalry game against Michigan, coming off the most competitive game of the season against Penn State. So we had said going into this stretch, we thought this is when we were going to really learn what this Ohio State football team is made of, and I think we started to see that this past week, Colin. Yeah, there's no doubt about it. It's funny you had mentioned um, earlier in the day on on Tuesday that you know we're going to have a loaded show. We probably won't even talk about the college football playoff rankings because we just assume that they're probably going to be number two. And it turns out on the week that we're going to talk Penn State and Michigan that they're also back to one. So you know we got we got a couple topics to hit on. Yeah, we have a lot to talk about. So we'll uh, we'll get right into it rather than uh, wasting time. We'll get we'll get right into it and talk about. That game against Penn State, because it was an interesting game, and it was the first close game of the year. Ohio State won 28-17, but not without a little bit of adversity. Buckeyes were up 21-0 early in the third quarter, but then we saw Penn State make a 17-point run. Ohio State had two turnovers in its own territory. Those led to 10 points for Penn State, and at that point, that was the first time all year where I was sitting there in a press box and thought, there's a chance the Buckeyes might lose this game. Yeah, it it was it was a different kind of feeling because I think throughout the entire game, I remember when they were going into halftime, and if you remember, there was there was a chance they were going to go into halftime with a seven zero lead. They were they had a fourth and one for the one yard line that they ended up scoring on, um, but there was that chance that they might have this giant yardage advance, this giant advantage in really every sting every single statistical category except for points where they would have been up either seven to nothing or fourteen to nothing. And it felt like they were just dominating the entire game. And it was one of those it was one of those games where if if you just look at any category other than points or turnovers, you would assume that Ohio State rolled Penn State. Yet on the scoreboard, they only beat them by eleven. Yeah, you mentioned some of the stats. Ohio State had four hundred seventeen yards, Penn State had two hundred and twenty seven yards. Buckeyes outrushed Penn State 229 to 99 outpassed Penn State 188 to 128 Buckeyes had 27 first downs Penn State had only 15 so when you look at the game as a whole the Buckeyes were clearly the better team they they were always clearly the better team but you mentioned there, there were missed opportunities in the first half they were about to go up 14 to nothing Justin Fields fumbles the ball at the goal line. Penn State recovers. That's seven points right there that Ohio State should have scored that it didn't. And, of course, I already mentioned the, the two fumbles in their own territory. There was another another drive where they got the ball in Penn State territory, and then Thayer-Munford was called for a holding penalty, and they ended up punting when it looked like they should have been in position to score. So there were three or four instances where, where Ohio State really gave away points that either went to Penn State or didn't go to Ohio State. And if if Ohio State had executed a little better, this could have been a three or four score win, just like we had seen all year from the Buckeyes. It wasn't their best executed game, but at the same time, this was supposed to be the toughest test of the year. Penn State was the best team Ohio State had played all year. And I don't think it's a bad thing going into another tough game against Michigan this week, going into this really tough stretch at the end of the year, to have faced a little adversity 
And I, I think it helps the coaches out a little bit this week in terms of selling their message, in terms of actually being able to point to something that didn't go well and to actually be able to say to their players, we do need to get better. These are things we need to do better. Because I think even Ryan Day kind of admitted after the game that that was starting to ring a little bit hollow with all the blowouts the Buckeyes had had. Yeah, it was a different kind of adversity than I think that um, anyone really anticipated because throughout the entire year, Ohio State had just been killing everybody. I mean, they had won every single game by at least 24 points. And this adversity really wasn't inflicted by Penn State. In fact, when I when I whenever Penn State had the ball, at least until Will Levis came in the game, and then he had a couple nice runs on a drive, and, and all of a sudden it looked like he might provide a little bit of a spark um, and just a different kind of quarterback um, that, that that Penn State didn't have with Sean Clifford back there. Penn State's offense just really couldn't get anything going, and their defense, even though um, Ohio State only scored twenty eight points. Um, there was no point where I was like, I'm not really sure how Ohio State's going to move the ball against this team. It was one of those games where there was, was, was just too many self-inflicted mistakes at certain times, and really it left me with, there, there were two main takeaways that I had. I mean, one of them was, yeah, had Ohio State not made these these mistakes, there were probably like four or five of them. If they hadn't made the, if they hadn't even made like two or three of them, they would have they they would have won by twenty plus points. Um, and that, that really matters because, like you said, this was, this was a top-ten matchup. Penn State was the best team that they had played, the most talented team they had played. And had Justin Fields scored that early touchdown, had he not fumbled at the one-yard line, um, I think this game was sort of headed the same way that a lot of the other games were headed in terms of heading towards a blowout. Um, and yet it didn't. And then there was, a, there was the – you mentioned the Thayer Munford drive where Thayer Munford had a holding penalty and then gave up a sack. And you can say – well, you know what, that holding penalty wasn't a great call. And while I agree with that, like in, in football games, in college football games, every single game has like a not has has a bad call that you just have to sort of overcome. Like that's just a part of a part of college football. And then the and then later in the second half, they obviously had the back to back fumbles. And I think one of your takeaways can absolutely be that they were really crushing this Penn State team other than the self-inflicted errors. But at the same time, the other takeaway that I really had was, you know, if this was Clemson, Ohio State would have lost. Like, it, it, it's really that simple. If, if Ohio State has these these self-inflicted errors against a team that's actually talent-equated to them, unlike Penn State, which Ryan Day said, but I think we all knew wasn't totally talent-equated, that they, they would have lost. And, and, and we hadn't really seen these mistakes crop up before. Um, is that... What's your level of concern that that at some point down the line in a game that 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 I think talent the talents actually matches up at Clemson? There's really only like two or three of them, Clemson, LSU, those types of games that that this that these issues could pop up again. I don't really think my level of concern in that regard is much higher than it was before because. I think every team has bad games. You can look at any team, national championship teams, whoever. It's very rare for a team to play at its absolute best every single week. And this was an Ohio State team that really hadn't faced any adversity all year. So I I think there was a a point where they were going to have to face this. And I think it's better to face it against Penn State for the first time 
than it is to face it against Clemson or LSU for the first time. So I didn't see anything against Penn State that, at least to me, that stood out as this is a major area of concern for Ohio State or or this is something they, they're not going to be able to fix. Turnovers happen. It, 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 I agree with you that if, if you make those kind of mistakes in a college football playoff, you're probably going to lose. But I don't necessarily think that fumbles in one game is something that's going to lead to a recurring issue. I, I think that's just something that they certainly need to work on and they're certainly going to work on. But I think it's better for them to have that now than for it not to happen and then happen later. So I think it just increases the importance of working on on that. But I don't necessarily think just because it happened in this game means it's more likely to happen in the college football playoff. I just think it's something that when they get to the college football playoff or you know before that, when they get to this week's game against Michigan, you just can't make those kind of mistakes. Ryan Day had talked about it in the week leading up to the game that they couldn't make those kind of mistakes. They did and they got away with it, but that doesn't mean they're going to be able to get away with it every week. Yeah, it's, I mean, turnovers are one of those things where it's just really hard to predict. Um, and teams can be really good at forcing turnovers one year, and then the next year just can't force any turnovers. I remember the, the year that Malik Cooker had the six interceptions. Ohio State had a lot of turnovers that year, and then the year after, it, it seemed like, I mean, I don't, I don't remember exactly what the numbers were, but I know that they forced much fewer turnovers that year. Um, it just seemed like... Um, I, I do wonder if there's anything to the fact that the last the last two weeks I think um, and, and and listen they beat they crushed Rutgers and they beat Penn State by eleven so like I just wanted it out there like I was really impressed by 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 the way that they played in, in those games at the same time Ohio State set such a level for itself um, in the first nine games of the season that I do just wonder like. Did you think that they were the two um, least impressive performances that you've seen from them the entire year? I don't know what I would and listen, say that. And listen, uh, they, 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 they beat a top-10 team and they crushed Rutgers. Yet at the same time, I think that there were just a couple... Listen, we, we struggled to even find any minor areas of concern in the first nine games of the year. And it's not that there are any major concerns, like you said, um, but at the same time, they, they had... They had the fumbles. Um, I think that on the on on the line, I think both sides of the line didn't play quite as well as I anticipated in this game. Um, I thought Thayer Munford, whether it be some sort of injury or whatnot, I thought maybe he struggled. Um, Devon Hamilton, I thought maybe had um, his his least impactful game of the year on Saturday. There were just I, I, I there was nothing major. I just want to I just want to say that again. Yet at the same time, there were there were a couple minor things that that. I don't know. I just had my eye on that I that I hadn't had before. Yeah, I think the reality is the ex- the level of expectation has now become so high for this team that it's becoming harder for them to impress. And I, I and I at least in terms of Ohio State fans, I think the fact that the college football playoff selection committee moved Ohio State up to number one would would tell you that Ohio State is still playing impressive football. That their win over Penn State was impressive. So. I couldn't say I, I would not be in agreement that the game against Penn State was one of their least impressive games of the year because I think it was the best team they played all year. I think it was supposed to be their toughest test of the season, and 
I think we should keep things in perspective because this was their first win by more than one point over Penn State in four years. It, it, in a previous year, if Ohio State beat Penn State by multiple scores, that would have been considered a very good thing. The expectation has become so high now that suddenly if Ohio State doesn't just blow out a team, if Ohio State has some mistakes, suddenly it's not an impressive game anymore. So I think I, I think we need to keep perspective. I mean, I, I was even thinking about this as a hypothetical a couple days ago was I think back to last year and how much people keep talking about 62 to 39 and what a great game that was. If Ohio State wins 62 to 39 on Saturday, people would be mad about it because it would mean the defense had its worst game of the year. So I think sometimes the expectations get so high that we start holding we start holding teams to an unrealistic level of expectation. Every football team has ebbs and flows in a year. Ohio State still hasn't hasn't won a game by less than 11 points. Ohio State has done what it's needed to do in in every single game. I won't disagree with you that it, it seems like the last couple of weeks haven't been quite as sharp for the Buckeyes, and they probably need to get that back going a little bit here against Michigan this week, and certainly for the college football playoff. But I, I still don't think that there's there's been anything that has made this team less impressive in my eyes. I think the fact that they've continued to win every single game by multiple scores and they played their toughest game of the year. They faced some adversity and they still handled it and they, and they still won. I, 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 I'm still very impressed by this team. Yeah. And I think you should be. Um, it, when you say that there are usually ebbs and flows to the season, it's funny you say that because there really had been no ebbs and flows to this season. Like I, like when you talk about how there being such a high bar, it's because there, there were none. It's just Ohio state went out every single week and, they crushed their opponent, and Chase Young had somewhere between one and four sacks, and Justin Fields threw between two and four touchdowns and ran for another touchdown and didn't throw an interception, and J.K. Dobbins ran for 100 yards, and it just became, like, it. it this team This team was so dominant, I think, in the first um, first nine games, and, 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 and honestly, the first 11 games, but at the same time, I, I like when you say they weren't as sharp, I think that's really sort of what I'm getting at. Is is, I, like I, I want I want to say that they were that they were really impressive, and at the same time say that this might have been their first game that I said that that I was maybe sitting in the press box thinking you know if they played this exact game against one of the college football playoff opponents, um, I think it would either be a really good game or or they might lose. And it was and a lot of it is due to the turnovers. Um, like I said, they they dominated throughout the game. I think that if Justin Fields had scored on that second touchdown uh, where where he fumbled at the one yard line, I think they would have gone on. Uh, I think that they were on pace for a blowout. And, and it didn't necessarily happen. They only won by 11 points and it ended up being a four-point game in the fourth quarter. Um, and I, and, I, and I, I really do think it was impressive at the same time. I, I just, there, there, were, there, were the, there were the minor things that, that, that I really, like we hadn't even seen any minor flaws. So I just, I, I, I made note of that when I, was, when I was watching and re-watching. You mentioned Chase Young. Let's talk about him. His first game back, from a two-game suspension was as dominant as ever. He had nine tackles, four tackles for loss, three sacks. For his second game in a row, he was the National Defensive Player of the Week. 
He's he's right back in the Heisman Trophy conversation. He he broke Ohio State's single season record for sacks. If he keeps this up, he's going to have one of the best individual seasons we've ever seen in college football for a defensive player. And we've seen it the last two games that he's played in against Wisconsin and Penn State, which were Ohio State's two biggest games of the season to date. He played his best football and, and showed why he's one of the best players in the country. And I think right now, as long as he plays well against Michigan and in the Big Ten Championship game, he's at least getting an invite to New York. I think Joe Burrow is still the favorite to win the Heisman Trophy, but I think he's at least getting an invite. 100% in agreement with that. And the I remember when he got suspended, um, I sort of tossed out the possibility that, that he might that he might even have a chance to win the Heisman. Um, no, I didn't. I didn't really toss out the the, the possibility that he that he might be a finalist. But if there was another hypothetical scenario where Joe Burrow had just been totally stumbling um, down the stretch, I really think the way that the way that Chase Young responded it would have been it would have been an interesting conversation. Now, the way that Joe Burrow has played, um, I think that a best case scenario for Chase Young is to get to New York, and 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 I think that he will ultimately get there. Um, there is the. I mean, the thing with the Heisman is is it's partially, when we talk about it, it's partially about production. It's partially about his 16.5 sacks that set the Ohio State single-season record, even though he's only played nine games. Um, and it's also partially about perception, because everything about uh, the, the Heisman voters is about their perception of what he's doing. Um, and I think... The way that he's played, the dominance that he showed, the dominance he's had against Wisconsin and Penn State, the dominance in, in, in those biggest games of the season, um, I think that I think that will get him to New York. I I think he I think he right now would finish second in the Heisman race. I think I right too. now, I think he's second right now. I think it's going to be hard to flip that script against Burrow. Unless Burrow lays an egg against Georgia in the SEC championship game. I think if, if Burrow finishes strong, he has a big game against Georgia, leads LSU to a win, I think he'll win the Heisman. But, and I also think he'd deserve it. Yeah, oh yeah, absolutely. I mean, if you look at Joe Burrow's stats, he's had a phenomenal season. I think he's on pace to break the record for completion percentage in a year. He's completed 78.9% of his passes, over 4,000 passing yards, 41 touchdowns. He's had a fantastic year. I think Ohio State fans will be happy for Joe Burrow as well, knowing that he's an Ohio guy, played at Ohio State, went to LSU, got his opportunity there, and has taken full advantage of it. But I think Chase Young absolutely should should be going to the Heisman Trophy ceremony. If, if I had a vote right now, I would vote for Chase Young because I think he is the best player in college football. But just getting invited to the ceremony would be a great accomplishment for him because it doesn't happen very often for defensive players, and I think he's played at a level where he's going to force people who typically only vote for for quarterbacks and running backs to consider voting for him because that's just how well he's played. Wait, when you say that you'd vote for Joe Burrow, are you saying you'd vote for him first or second? Or, or sorry, no, uh, Chase no, Young I said I would second. vote. I would vote for Chase Young to win the Heisman. He he would be first on my ballot. Wow, I didn't expect you to say that. Um, Why? Because I would vote for Joe Burrow, and maybe that's the quarterback thing in me. Um, but the way I, I listen, we've watched Chase Young now this year every single game. I've watched what I've watched significantly more of Chase Young than Joe Burrow, just because we've watched every single one of Chase Young's snaps. I get the way that he impacts games on defense, but the way that Joe Burrow has transformed the LSU offense in, in a way that. I, I really don't think people expected him to do um, under Joe Brady. It's been 
phenomenal. I mean, he's thrown for four thousand yards, uh, forty plus touchdowns. He he has this he has this LS he has LSU undefeated right now. And and it's listen, we talk about the we're going to talk about the balance that Ohio State has on offense and defense. LSU doesn't necessarily have that with its defense. A lot of it is due to their offense, and it's because of Joe Burrow. Um, if Ohio State didn't have Chase Young, I still think that they would probably be undefeated. Um, if LSU did not have Joe Burrow, I, there's, I, I, there, I, do not, I would not pick them to be undefeated right now. I think it comes down to a debate of most valuable player versus most outstanding, and I think typically it tends to be a most valuable player award, and that's why Joe Burrow will win the Heisman if he plays well the next two weeks. I think if it's a most outstanding player award, I would give it to Chase Young because I think Chase Young is having one of the best seasons we've ever seen for a defensive player in, in college football. And, and I think I, I, I would like to see a defensive player, whether it's Chase Young this year or another year, I'd like to see a defensive player win the Heisman Trophy because it's, it's always been slanted toward quarterbacks and running backs. Quarterbacks, understandably so, because they make such an impact on the game. Running backs at this point, I mean, you might be right, that, that Ohio State still be undefeated without Chase Young, but I think they'd still be undefeated without J.K. Dobbins, too. I, I think running backs just aren't as important in the game well, I, I agree with that. <laughs> yeah. Now, now again, if we're talking most valuable player for Ohio State, it's Justin Fields, period. There's, there's, there's no question about that. Justin Fields is Ohio State's most valuable player. I wouldn't say he's their most outstanding player, because I'd say that's Chase Young. But if we're talking most valuable player, we'd go Justin Fields. With that being said... I think Chase Young has emerged as Ohio State's top Heisman Trophy candidate. And I didn't say that last week. If you remember last week, I said last week I thought Justin Fields was going to have a Heisman statement game and and he was going to put himself into the forefront of that conversation with Joe Burrow. I don't think that happened. He, He had a good game against Penn State. He completed 16 of 22 passes for 188 yards, two touchdowns. Also ran the ball 21 times, the most he's run it all year. 68 yards. Some of those yards, though, were taken away for sacks. He had some crucial third and fourth down runs. Thought he played well in his biggest game of the year. Did have the two fumbles, which is why Ohio State didn't grade him out as a champion. But I thought he played well. I do, I, it wasn't the kind of game that he needed if he was going to get into that Heisman Trophy race. And I think just the fact that Ryan Day came out after the game and said, I think Chase deserves to be in New York, but Gene Smith went on Twitter on Sunday and said Chase Young deserves to win the Heisman Trophy. Tells you that Ohio State doesn't go too outward with its Heisman Trophy campaigning, but they've made it clear that Chase Young is the guy they're going to promote as the guy they think should win the Heisman. Yeah, uh, among Ohio State's team, I, I think that's the right call. I mean... Like you said, Chase Young just impacts games in, in ways that, that few do. And I, I think the Heisman, it's, it's a mix between most valuable and, and best performing. And Chase Young's clearly the most valuable player on that defense. He's an unbelievable, like, you, you, it's hard to describe his impact. Like, I remember when he left, like, how do you, how do you possibly describe his impact if, 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 if Ohio State missed him against Penn State? Because he just changes every single thing that Ohio State's defense does. Um Justin had Justin had an interesting game. I think when when he only threw twenty two passes and Ohio State has sixty one rushes, I think that was a that was a major topic after the game of, of, of whether whether they ran too much 
Um, I know Justin himself had 21 rushes, and they only had 22 passes as a team. What, what, what did you think about that balance? I was a little surprised by it because Penn State coming into the game had allowed more than 300 passing yards and back-to-back games. And so I had said last week I thought Ohio State was going to try to attack Penn State through the air. And then on its first drive of a game, it ran the ball right down Penn State's throat. Didn't gain a single yard through the air on its first drive of a game. It, I think it went 91 yards and it gained every every yard on the ground. So it was that was an excellent statement to start the game. The problem is they weren't able to sustain that. They didn't, as good as they ran the ball on the first drive of a game, the rest of the game was a little bit more of a struggle. And I liked the strategy at first to, to go out there and go right at Penn State's strength and establish for run. I thought it was a good strategy, but I think maybe they stuck with it a little too much. I, I think maybe they should have they should have gone to the air a little bit more and. Ryan Day seemed to think that that was what they needed to do to win the game, and and that was the right strategy. And maybe the weather affected it a little bit, although the weather really wasn't as bad as as people were saying it might be. So my feeling was maybe they ran the ball a little bit more than they should have. Maybe they relied a little bit more heavily on Dobbins and Fields running the ball than they should have. At the same time. Ryan Day knows a lot more about winning football games and coaching offensive football than I do, so I can only question him so much. As as long as Ohio State keeps winning, he probably knows better than I do. But I was a little bit surprised that the game plan ended up being so run-heavy, especially when they've tried to be so balanced this year. It, it, a lot of people were saying it. It kind of felt like an Urban Meyer, Jim Trestle big game game plan where... They leaned heavily on the quarterback run. They they weren't passing the ball a lot in situations where they really needed to gain those those tough yards. And I was a little bit surprised by that because I thought pass defense was Penn State's weakness. But that's what they felt was best. It'll be interesting to see going into another big game this week, going on the road at Michigan where, again, bad weather might be in play. It'll be interesting to see if Ohio State does that again, or if maybe that's what they want Michigan to think they're doing and they end up going more more through the air. Yeah, I I actually really didn't have that much of a problem with there was maybe just a couple times that, that I thought maybe a pass would have been better run. But but I I under if you look at the just their drives, so their first drive, like you said, they had thirteen plays, ninety one yards, twelve of them were runs, um, all those ninety one yards were from runs. Second drive they had a fumble on the goal line. Uh, had had Justin Fields scored, uh, they would have gone up fourteen nothing. Like I said, I think they would have been going toward a blowout. Nets the next possession was when um, they punted, and that was due to the uh, Thayer Munford hold plus him giving up a sack. Um, they, I think that was another one that they were in Penn State's. Um, they, they had driven into Penn State territory. I think that they had that not happen. I think that they were en route to score. Um, the Nets won touchdown. The Nets won touchdown. Then back-to-back fumbles. And then at that point in the game, it just seemed like had the fumbles not happened, that they would have cruised sort of t- t- toward to the win. Because if you remember, the first five drives of the game Penn State, Penn State had, they punted. And on four of them, I think that they had less than 20 yards on each of those drives. It just seemed like Penn State really couldn't get anything going offensively. And whether Ryan Day 
thought that they could get something through the air or not, it seemed like they were getting enough on the ground that they could stick with that um, and win that way. And they really, I think that they, I think, it, I think the score would have been something like, I don't know, something 35 to, to 10 or something like that had those fumbles not happened. Like those fumbles really did change the game and change the way I think people look at that game, including me. Um, but I, the, the run-pass balance actually really didn't bother me. I think that they were really in control of this game, and there wasn't, there wasn't a total need to, to, to throw it down the field, even though I think, in, in, I think we were both expecting them to do, do so a little bit more. It's just their defense was totally in control of Penn State's offense, and, and Ohio State didn't really need a test, didn't need a test Penn State secondary. Regardless of the play calling, regardless of game being a little sloppier than we might have expected. I think Ryan Day deserves a ton of credit for this game because this was the first time we had seen him in a situation where Ohio State had its backs against the wall a little bit, where it looked like the team was reeling and, and maybe you know all momentum was on the other team's side. Maybe they were going to be able to turn the game in their favor and maybe Ohio State was going to was gonna collapse and lose a game. And he... He, he talked about it himself. I think it was after the second fumble in the second half where he brought the whole team together and, and he rallied them together and, and talked to them about how you know they needed to, they needed to counterpunch, if they needed to, to stay in the fight. And whatever he did seemed to work because from that point on, they did what they needed to do to keep Penn State off the board, got another touchdown early in the fourth quarter on a, a pass to Chris Olave, and they won the game, and, and sometimes you have to win those tough games, and we that was the one thing we really hadn't seen Ryan Day have to do yet because the team had been so dominant, we hadn't seen how he would handle a situation where the game was really on the line in the second half, how this team would handle having to play for four quarters and grind out a tough win. So I think those things are very good to see. I think one other thing I would second-guess, and a lot of people were second-guessing, was... Fourth and five, two minutes left in the game, up by two scores. Ohio State makes the decision to, to try to make a play on fourth and five. Probably could have kicked a field goal. Could have even just tried to do a short punt and, and really, really pin them deep just because you've got that two-score lead. They decide to go for it. Justin Fields gets sacked. And for a couple minutes, it looked like Ohio State season might have just gone up in flames because Justin Fields was down on the turf, looked like he was hurt. We all know how catastrophic a Justin Fields injury could be to this season. He ended up jogging off the field. Seems like he's okay. Seems like he's going to be good to go. But Colin, what was your thoughts about him making that call late in the game and, and putting Justin Fields in harm's way, maybe unnecessarily? Yeah, it was well in the moment I, I was I was on the sideline. I didn't I didn't quite realize that it was fourth down when that happened. Um, so when I when I did realize that, yeah, it changed a little bit. Um, I Ryan Day he he when his gut tells him to go for it, as we learned on Saturday, he's gonna go for it. And sometimes yep. that pays off. Sometimes it ends with the quarterback on the ground and you wondering whether the season has gone off the rails. Um, I thought that if, listen, if you're, it, we've seen Justin Fields play a lot this year, Justin Fields, if, if he gets pressured, he, he is fine to run. He is fine to keep the play alive. 
I think Ryan Day probably knew that, that that was a possibility, and it's just such a dangerous play. I mean, it's so easy to second-guess him, but but I think I think it's correct in this time. Um, you put Justin Fields out there, it didn't seem, it didn't need to happen. It didn't need to happen. Everything about this season relies on Justin Fields being healthy, and if and if you don't need to have him out there, I just I just don't think that the cost benefit is, is worth it in that situation. Yeah, I agree. And and again, typically, if if a game's on the line there and it's fourth and five from the twenty seven yard line, yeah, I I probably am going for it because there's no real advantage to to punting there. They could have kicked a field goal, go up go up fourteen. I think maybe they had thoughts of the twenty sixteen game in their head when Penn State blocked a field goal and returned it for a touchdown, and and they just didn't want to risk that happening. But I mean, really. You could just hand the ball off to J.K. Dobbins there, and if he gets it, great. If he doesn't, fine. It, it, I do. I, I, I respect Ryan Day's aggressive play calling a lot, and I think for the most part that's been a good thing for this team. And I respect Justin Fields for being willing to do anything, and, and he's going to play hard as every single snap he's in the game. And I think that's been a huge thing for this team, but. You just gotta you 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 gotta be careful. You gotta be careful. You you don't you, at this point in the season you can't have Justin Fields in bubble wrap. If he's got to run the ball twenty times to go win the game, that's what he's got to do. But you just don't want something to happen to Justin Fields on a on a play that when the game's already decided. I I, I do think that as a coach you do need to consider those things and and you do need to think about if. If this is not a if, if if we don't need points to go win the game right now, we probably don't want to put Justin in a situation where he he's going to be running the ball and, and he's going to be susceptible to getting sacked and potentially getting hurt. So I, I think I think Ryan Day is reluctant to put any handcuffs on Justin because Justin is going to be at his best if you let him use his full disposal of of tools, and and, and so. I think that's why we really haven't seen any restrictions on when Justin runs, when he extends plays, but you just don't want him to get hurt in a situation like that because we can second guess now and it's fine, but if he got hurt on that play, it would have been the national headlines all week about just like it was a week before when Tua got hurt for Alabama, that why was he in that situation in that game? So it's one of those things that it might not matter that much for the rest of the year because I think you're going to have a lot of close games, but it's just something that I think you got to consider going forward. Yep, I agree with that. Um, who else did you want to mention before we move on of, of, of standout performances in this game? Yeah, just a few guys. I talked about Chris Olave before. He's a guy we'll talk about it with, with Michigan coming up this week too. Just seems to always step up into big games, made a really nice – 28-yard touchdown catch in the fourth quarter. Didn't start the game. They're, they're, they're still... They Austin Mack came back for the first time in three games. He started. He ended up actually playing a few more snaps than Chris Olave, but I just think it's going to keep getting tougher to keep Chris Olave off the field the way that he's playing. And then on the defensive side of the ball, Pete Werner, I thought, had an excellent game. There's still some Ohio State fans out there who are convinced that Pete Werner is not a good player and that Brendan White or someone else should be playing over him, but I thought Pete Warner did an excellent job. He was going up against maybe the best tight end in the country in, in Pat Fryermuth. 
he he had a lot of one-on-one coverage situations that are, are tough to a tough spot to be in for a linebacker and I thought he handled it really well led the team with 10 tackles had a couple nice pass breakups I thought that was one of the best games of his career and I thought it showed why he's been on the field a lot and Baron Browning I also thought had one of his best games as a Buckeye. They did a lot of stuff with with blitzing linebackers in this game, and that really plays into Baron Browning's strengths. And he had seven tackles, two and a half tackles for loss, one and a half sacks. I thought Tough Borland had a solid game too at middle linebacker, but I did think we saw that when the game's on the line, and especially in a situation where they're looking for their linebackers to go out and make plays, Baron Browning offers the ability to do certain things that Tough Borland can't, and that's why he was in the game in the fourth quarter of a game on the line and, and not Tough Borland. Yep, it was one of their, I think their the linebackers had one of their um, best games of the year as, as just an entire unit. And if you look at the stats, the, the top five tacklers were Chase Young and then the four linebackers, um, which is honestly sort of what you would want as a defense. If you're just designing of who, who would you imagine are, are getting the most tackles, that's sort of it. Yeah, you don't want Jordan Fuller to be getting 10 tackles because that means a lot of plays are going to the second level. So I agree. I think it was the best game of the year for the linebackers. And, and one other linebacker we we really should mention is Justin Hilliard, who played when they had four linebackers on the field in Saturday's game, played only nine snaps and had two tackles and the first interception of his career, which was maybe the play of the game because it was in the fourth quarter. Penn State was driving into Ohio State territory. They were only down by 11 points. If Penn State had scored on that possession, they would have still been very much in the game. And that Hilliard interception, I think, really took the wind out of Penn State's sails that allowed the Buckeyes to be able to finish with a multi-score victory. Yep. You want to, you want to talk playoff rankings unexpectedly? <laughs> because yeah. we, 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 I think, both imagined that this would be another week where there weren't many changes at the top. Ohio State would be number two, and all of a sudden, they show up at number one back after two weeks. Yeah, I, I, I did tell Colin that if Ohio State was at number two, I thought we would just kind of gloss over the playoff rankings this week because there just wasn't going to be a whole lot more to talk about. There's such a big game this week coming up against, against Michigan, but I think that's really where everybody's focus is more than a college football playoff, but... I was I was surprised. I, I was surprised that I didn't expect Ohio State to jump up to number one on Tuesday night. That said, I do not disagree with it. I, I I think the rationale that the committee has is absolutely sound in that they moved Ohio State up to number one because they view Ohio State as a more complete team. And that's the truth, specifically on defense. Both teams have great offenses, but Ohio State their defense still leads the nation in points allowed per game, yards allowed per game, yards allowed per play. LSU ranks 42nd, 43rd, and 44th in those respective categories. And Ohio State also leads the nation in points scored per game, too. So Ohio State is the most complete team in the country, in my opinion. With that win over Penn State, the strength of schedule is now comparable. And I I, I think Ohio State belongs in the number one spot, and I also think that with a game against Michigan coming up this week, and then either Wisconsin or Minnesota next week, I think the number one seed is the Buckeyes to lose at this point. Yeah, I if you had asked me um, Tuesday morning what I would have thought I would have said 
What I imagine would happen, provided both LSU and Ohio State would win out, is I thought that Ohio State would remain at number two this week, and then by beating Michigan would move back up to number one, and then um, and after the um, Big Ten and SEC title games, I thought that LSU would, would probably move back up to number one. Um, now that Ohio State is number one right now, I think the fact that they have two top 15 opponents coming up, even though LSU plays Georgia in the SEC title game, provided Ohio State doesn't really just stumble and, and beat both of them by one point, um, provided that they're, that the victories are relatively handled, uh, that, that, that they win by, by, the, by the, they win by the amount of points that they've won every other game um, by 10 or more points. I think that I think that Ohio State sticks at number one unless something something weird happens that honestly has been sort of unforeseen. Yeah, I agree with that. And and like you said, it it does matter how impressively Ohio State wins. If if LSU beats Georgia fifty six to fourteen in the SEC championship game and Ohio State slugs past Wisconsin or Minnesota, then LSU could absolutely jump back up to that number one spot. But I think right now Ohio State's in great shape for that number one seed because both teams have free wins over ranked teams right now. Ohio State's got the chance to get two more. LSU only has the chance to get one more. So I, I think if Ohio State, if it's still statistically leading the nation in both points per game and points allowed per game, if it's still looking like the most complete team in the country and it wins those last two games of the year, I think the Buckeyes probably will be the number one seed in the college football playoff, and I think that does matter because I think right now Ohio State, LSU, and Clemson are clearly the three best teams in the country, and I think there's a gap back to everyone else. I've said it before. I think Clemson is the most dangerous team for Ohio State in the playoff because I think those are the two most dangerous teams. So I, I I think the team that would be most likely to beat Ohio State of anyone would be Clemson. And I think if Ohio State can avoid Clemson or LSU in the first round and play Utah or Oklahoma or Baylor or Alabama or whoever it might be, I just don't think any team in that number four seed is going to match up with Ohio State the way Clemson would. And I think it gives Ohio State a more favorable path to the final. Yep, definitely agree with that. I think the one seed is as important as it's been in, in, in recent years. Um, I would like to actually go back and go back and see um, if this is comparable because there is such a stark difference between either matching up with Clemson or um, which uh, whichever team earns the the number four seed, provided everyone keeps on winning, which is always the caveat here. I did think it was interesting that when Rob Mullins was talking, he just kept on coming back to the fact that Ohio State is a more complete team than LSU as the reason for them moving up. Because last week that was still true. <laughs> last week it was also true that Ohio State was the more complete team than LSU by pretty much every statistic. Um, I think that what I... And the thing is, it's really just difficult to... to, to to figure out what their rationale is because it's a bunch of people, it, it's people in a room and they have one spokesman who really doesn't want to say anything of, of what's actually happening in there. Um, what I imagine is what happened is people thought that, that Ohio State was complete, yet maybe they didn't see, they, they wanted to see Ohio State against another top 10, top 15 opponent and, and see whether that remains the case. And the fact that Ohio State had such a big advantage in yardage, first downs, third down, sort of every single statistic. I think that probably proved it. Plus, like like Dan said, like like you said, um, the, the strength of schedule now matches up a little bit more. 
I, th- I think it's I think it's totally reasonable to have Ohio State back at one. I was just personally surprised that they actually did make that move, given the fact that on the scoreboard they only beat them by eleven. Yeah, I think the reality is that before this week, LSU had three big wins over Alabama, Florida, and Auburn. Ohio State had only beaten two ranked teams in Wisconsin and and Cincinnati. So mm-hmm. I think there was a I think there was a big disparity there going into this week where LSU had to be number one because I think their their strength of schedule, the teams they had beaten, was clearly better than Ohio State. So I think LSU absolutely deserved to be number one for the past two weeks. But I do think now you add a win over Penn State, I think that I think LSU's schedule would still be considered a little bit stronger, but I think it comes closer to equating them where now you can look at it and say, well, Ohio State is the most complete team in the country. Yes, exactly. They should be number one. So I think that's what ultimately what swung it is a win over Penn State, and then that brought them into a conversation of who the most complete team is. And in terms of the committee, like you said, it's always hard to figure out exactly what they're going to do. That's why we were surprised last night. They could still surprise us again because their rationale is not always consistent. And one thing to know about talking to Rob Mullins is he will have one talking point about why a decision was made, and you can ask him 10 different questions, and he will go back to the same talking point. Because I hear it every week on the teleconference he does with reporters where people will ask him the same questions five different ways just to try to get a different answer out of him. And he, and he pretty much just says the same thing over and over again. So he, he, they decide what their reasoning is, and, and they don't really question it. They, they don't talk about the future. They don't talk about hypotheticals. They just talk about these are the rankings. These are why we did them for this week. And those reasons could change next week. But I do think everything is in front of Ohio State now where if it just wins out, I, I think there's a good chance it'll be number one. But that's easier said than done. And that's certainly true this week, going up against Michigan, playing a rivalry game. So... Let's talk about that because that's ultimately what's on top of everyone's mind this week is is trying to beat Michigan, trying to win this rivalry game that means so much to both teams. Ohio State hasn't lost to Michigan in seven years. They went 7-0 and under Urban Meyer. But now it's Ryan Day's first game as Ohio State's head coach in this rivalry. And we, we've talked about it. I don't know that Ohio State needs to beat Michigan to make the college football playoff, especially now that Ohio State's the number one seed. I think Ohio State could probably lose to Michigan, win the Big Ten Championship, and still make the playoff at 12-1. and But that doesn't make this game any less important because you can look at Urban Meyer and Jim Trestle, and conversely, you can look at John Cooper. Ohio State head coaches are defined as much as anything else by how they do against Michigan. And Ryan Day knows that. Yep, it's basically what he sort of sort of uh, hit at a lot often in his uh, Tuesday press conference. And funny enough, it's it's what Urban Meyer had hit on the the day before in an interview with uh, Ten TV when when he was talking about seven and zero being his biggest accomplishment. Um, everybody right now loves loves to debate the uh, what would Ohio State fans like more. Uh, a win against Michigan and, and not making the playoff or losing to Michigan and making the playoff or losing to Michigan and winning the national title. Um, and it's 
it, it's such a it it's such an impossible debate because it's hard to imagine a, a coach even losing to to Michigan and winning a national title like that that hasn't happened it's it's really difficult to imagine and at the same time this is sort of the perfect year to even imagine that scenario because I don't want to say there's a hundred percent chance because like you said this is the college football playoff committee I don't think I would ever say anything a hundred percent about them but there's pretty close to a hundred percent chance that even if they lose to Michigan provided they win the Big Ten title they would make it um and it's such a weird scenario going into the Michigan game that it that it does it it makes you consider that possibility. Yet at the same time, that I, I say with certainty that possibility is not really being considered within the Woody Hayes Athletic Center. No, and it shouldn't be. All, all Ohio State's focus should be on this week is is winning Mich- is winning the Michigan game. Ohio State players and coaches shouldn't be worried about what matters more Michigan or the national championship that's for us to decide that's for us to debate but for for them it's all about just winning this game and I mean we just talked about it Ohio State has a chance to be the number one seed in the playoff if it wins out so even for playoff ramifications this game matters every game matters in, in that conversation but this game matters a little bit more because it is the rival rivalry game you know I, I personally I, I think that if Ohio State wins the national championship, <laughs> this season is going to be considered a success no matter what happens this week. And I think Ohio State can win this week, and if they lay an egg in the college football playoff, this season's still going to leave people with a bitter taste in their mouth. So I do think the college football playoff, the national championship, matters more than the Michigan game. But this game does matter, and I think it especially does matter for Ryan Day because – we were talking about this off air yesterday about how Urban Meyer is doing interviews in the Woody Hayes Athletic Center talking about the rivalry and he's always around and even though he's around, you really don't feel his shadow much. It's shocking. It's shocking. It's shocking how little little his presence sort of um, shadows over the program compared to how often sort of we see him in the public eye. Yeah, I, I, I think we all thought that if Urban Meyer was around as much as he is, that there would be more of a shadow over Ryan Day. But the reason why there isn't is because Ohio State is 11-0. There's no reason for anybody to be hearkening back for the days of Urban Meyer as long as Ryan Day and the Buckeyes are winning. So as long as Ohio State's winning, there's no reason for there to be a shadow. But if Ohio State was to lose to Michigan, I think that would change a little bit because Urban Meyer, and again, this does speak to how much the rivalry means to people, is when people talk about Urban Meyer's career at Ohio State, he won a national championship. But the thing most people talk about the most for Urban Meyer is that he went 7-0 against Michigan. That's, That's what tends to be the first thing people bring up when they talk about Urban Meyer's career at Ohio State. And... Ryan Day, I mean, he he said it yesterday. It, it's almost completely overwhelming sometimes to to think about the fact that that Urban Meyer went seven and zero because those are huge expectations to live up to. Those are huge shoes to fill, and for any of us to predict that Ryan Day is going to go seven and zero against Michigan, that's a lot to put on his plate. But I do think the first one is important 
because I think that kind of sets an expectation going forward for whether Ryan Day is going to handle this rivalry the same way Urban Meyer did. Yeah, I think regardless of the of, of the lack of Big Ten implications and, and, and college football implications, I think this is a gigantic game um, for, for really for both programs and for both head coaches. If you look at the way that Ohio State has dominated, they lost in 2011, and before that they hadn't lost since 2003. And we all know the 2011 season, what, what happened then. So it's, it's basically a, a really a dominant Ohio State team, a really good Ohio State team hasn't lost since 2003. Um, the, the, way that, the way that Urban Meyer dominated Jim Harbaugh, I think there's as much pressure on him as there is on Ryan Day. And I think... Honestly, there's as much pressure on Ryan Day as there is on him, Harbaugh. I think that they, they both really need this win because if, if Ryan Day loses, it doesn't matter necessarily um, to, to, for, for the Big Ten or the college football playoff this year. But one, listen, you never want that. You never want that first loss. Woody Hayes actually lost his first game to Michigan, which I found out yesterday. Actually, I'm going to be honest, I didn't realize that before. Um, but listen, you don't, you don't, you don't, you don't want to start out that way. And it's really for the program as much as it is Ryan Day. Um, Ohio State has absolutely dominated the Big Ten, uh, dominated the Big Ten East, and and it matters and it matters that Ryan Day continues that domination within the conference as much as it is domination within the rivalry. Um, and I think I think that point sort of gets lost in, in the fact that there isn't as much Big Ten implications this year. I think it's really putting a stamp on the fact that. Listen, Ryan Day is here. He's in his first year. Urban Meyer is gone. Yet at the same time, Ohio State's not losing traction as a program. And, and that, to me, is why this game is, is huge for Ohio State. I will say, I think if the question is, is this game more important, is a win more important for Ryan Day in Ohio State or for Jim Harbaugh in Michigan, I think it is more important for Jim Harbaugh in Michigan because Jim Harbaugh is 0-4 in this rivalry. If he loses on Saturday, he's going to be 0-5. Michigan hasn't won this game in seven years. And, and right now, there's a clear gap between Ohio State and Michigan. Ohio State is competing for national titles. Michigan is not at that level. And I think for that to change, the first thing that has to happen is Michigan has to win this game. Michigan has to beat Ohio State. Michigan... Michigan cannot keep losing to its rival and and not continue to lose ground. I th- I think that's the biggest cloud that's hovering over Michigan football program right now is its inability to beat Ohio State. So I think in terms of the two programs and two coaches comparatively, I think Jim Harbaugh and Michigan need this win more. I think if, if Michigan is going to be a serious player against Ohio State, it, it needs to get a win not just not just to win this year, but to get some momentum on the recruiting trail and, and to get some momentum going into future seasons. I think Michigan needs this win more. I, I don't think that means it's not important to Ohio State, but I do think Ohio State and Ryan Day, because of what we already talked about, if they lose on Saturday, there's still plenty of opportunities left for for Ohio State to to make this a very good season. Ohio State can still win a Big Ten championship next week. If it does that, it probably goes to the college football playoff. It could win a national championship. A loss to Michigan, as long as Ohio State finishes the season strong, I don't think is going to 
have any major damaging effects on Ryan Day or a program. But I, I do I, think see, I, that's where that's where I actually disagree. Um, I think, I think, I think short term, you're right. I think this year, if they win the national title, this year will still be a success. I'm one of the people who think that the, the college football playoff is is more important. Ultimately, I think that you, if if I were an Ohio State fan. I would rather win the national title and make the playoff than I would um, beat Michigan, um, which would be a weird thing. Now saying that, putting my shoes as an Ohio State fan, now I understand why that's so hard to say because that's a weird thing just to even come out of your mouth that you would rather lose to Michigan. But with that being said, I think that, that I think that if if Ohio State loses this game, I think it opens up some sort of hope for Michigan that really – has never been there in the Jim Harbaugh era. Last year, obviously, Michigan went into went into Columbus as, as the favorite in the game. Yet at the same time, there was still the fact that Urban Meyer was six and zero against the Wolverines. There was still the fact that that Urban Meyer was four and zero at the time against Jim Harbaugh. Um, there, there just really hasn't been this this level of hope from Michigan that they can even necessarily compete at the same level every single year as Ohio State. And Ohio State has reveled in the fact that they've been able to dominate Michigan. And you said that this game is important for Jim Harbaugh because it maybe allows them to have that hope on the recruiting trail, get a little bit of momentum within their program. I think that Ohio State beating Michigan would continue to put Michigan right back where Michigan has been. And that, to me, is why it's just enormously important for Ohio State because if that doesn't happen... All of a sudden, next year, Ryan Day is 0-1 against Michigan. Um, whatever happens next season, it, it, I think that, 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 the, that the poll of, of what people think, would you rather beat Michigan or would you rather make the playoff, I think all of a sudden like that becomes like a gigantic must-win game for Ryan Day. He has to, in my opinion, win this game. I think this is huge for him, both, uh, both as a head coach and then beginning to build his legacy and as the program for, for stopping – um, Michigan from preventing Michigan from building any type of momentum as Ryan Day begins um, his his head coaching career at Ohio State. So you think that if Ohio State finished the season fourteen and one and wins a national championship, that that one loss to Michigan would have adverse effects on the recruiting trail that it would cast a cloud over the program going into next season? No, I, I think um, no, it would not cast a cloud. I think it would give Michigan hope. It would make the Big Ten a little bit more open. It would make the idea that, listen, Ohio State is dominant. Ohio State won the national title. But Michigan can get them. And right now... So therefore, Mi- so therefore, what I said about it being more important to Michigan than Ohio State would still be true, right? Listen, I, th- I think, I think you, <laughs> it's such a strong argument on both sides because I think it goes both ways. I think, like I said, I think this is huge for both programs. I... I, I it's hard for me to make a make an argument against this being giant for Jim Harbaugh because if if Jim Harbaugh loses, all of a sudden this is another nine and three regular season for Michigan, including losses to Penn State and Ohio State, and like they've been down this road before. Yeah, I mean, yeah, I mean, I I, I think for Michigan, I think this would just be one more blow on top of so many blows that it's had in, in recent years, and I think the gap would just keep getting wider. So, whether it's more important for either team, the reality is it's really important for both teams. Yep. But I, I, I do think that – I, I guess my point is that if Michigan wins on Saturday, 
Michigan's not going to suddenly close that entire gap with Ohio State. It, no, but it give, my make, point is it opens it, the window. And right now it feels it like it feels like the window has been closed since 2003. And I would agree. I would agree that if if Michigan wins on Saturday, then absolutely going into next year, the big big question would be can uh, can Ryan Day beat Michigan? There's there's no question about that. So it would be a lot better for Ryan Day and Ohio State to win this game and start off on the right foot. I don't think it's more important than winning the national championship. I Same. I, I don't. I, I I don't. But. That's a conversation for another week because this is a big game and and it deserves to be discussed as a big game. And we've, we've talked about it. We've said it five times already this year, so I don't know if I should say it again. But this feels like it could be the toughest test of the year, again, for Ohio State. And again, we, we've said that a lot, but the Buckeyes are only favored by nine points in this game. That's less than they've won any of their first 11 games by. And I think one thing that maybe hasn't been talked about enough this week, but this is really the first real road test of the year for Ohio State. And it's going to be the only one because after this, it'll be all neutral site games. But Ohio State's road games so far this year have been Indiana, Nebraska, Northwestern, and Rutgers. We thought Nebraska was going to be a test, but it wasn't. Indiana is a decent team, but they're just decent. Northwestern and Rutgers weren't tests at all. So this is going to be the first time where Ohio State's going into a game on the road against a team that is capable of beating them. And I think that is another box that has to be checked off, another test that we have to see. How does this team respond to going into what's certainly going to be its most hostile environment of the year? Yeah, and and it's also Ryan Day's most hostile environment as a head coach. Even last year when, when they went to um, – they, they, they went and played in Jerry World down in Texas against TCU. That was the only... That was a home game. There were more Ohio State fans there. Yeah, fact. Um, and honestly, uh, ever, except for the Nebraska game, you could make the case that every single game this year has essentially been a home game for them. Um, otherwise, um, and, and, and hey, there's going to be enough Ohio State fans in Ann Arbor but it's going to be as it's going to be as hostile an environment as as Ohio State has, has seen this year. You're right; we haven't seen that. Um, it's a little it's it's a it's different, and anything different just makes you wonder because this is a first year head coach, a first year quarterback. Uh, there's a lot of new assistants, Greg Madison and Al Washington going back there, and anything that makes you wonder is interesting about this team because there's so much about this team that makes you confident that they're really really good. Yeah. Uh, yeah, and you mentioned the coaching ties between two teams. There's quite a few of them. You've got Greg Madison and Al Washington now coaching at Ohio State. They were just at Michigan as assistant for Jim Harbaugh last year. You have Don Brown, who worked with Ryan Day at Boston College, and it's clear from what Ryan Day said this week that he has a lot of respect for Don Brown and his defense. And we saw it last year. Ryan Day certainly got the best of Don Brown last year. Ohio State scored 62 points on a defense that was ranked number one in the country. There was no question that Ohio State's offense dominated that matchup with Don Brown's defense last year. But Michigan is ranked as one of the best defenses in the country once again. And as well as last year went, I I don't think you can overlook the fact that Michigan usually plays really well on defense. And... 
I think Don Brown will probably have something up his sleeves that Ohio State hasn't seen yet this year that could give the Buckeyes a challenge. Yeah, I, I agree with that. It's it's also interesting given the, the personal nature of, of the relationship between Ryan Day and, and Don Brown. They, they go back many years, um, back, to, back to their New England roots. Um, <laughs> everybody, everybody thinking about this game is all they're going to think about are those crossing routes that Ohio State hit Michigan with. They're going to think about the the sixty plus points that they put on. But but you're right. This is a Michigan defense that's that's been seemingly good uh, every year that, that Don Brown's been there. They put up they put up uh, good statistics. And on the other side of the ball, it, it just seems like Michigan's offense has begun to click a little bit more. Um, now it was against a, a reeling Michigan State team and 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 Indiana, which doesn't have the talent that Ohio State does. But at the same time, people were wondering whether it was a, a top twenty-five team. Um, and and Shea Patterson threw for I think it was more than three hundred fifty yards against both of those teams. Yep. Um, and he hadn't ever thrown for three hundred yards in his entire career. Uh, it does seem that right now, uh, whether you want to believe it or not. That Michigan's Michigan's sort of clicking, in a way, especially in it a way does. that they didn't early in the year. And it, it sounds cliche, but it it just seems like ever since that halftime of a Penn State game, and this people keep saying, but it just seems like since then they found something. They were they they turned what looked like a blowout into a competitive game against Penn State, and then blew out Notre Dame, blew out Maryland, which doesn't say much. Then blowing out Michigan and Indiana. They've won four games in a row by at least 20, 25 points. Their offense is playing its best football of the year. Shea Patterson, like you mentioned, I remember it, about a month ago talking with one of my friends who was a Michigan fan, and, and he was he, he was ready for him to bench Shea Patterson and put Dylan McCaffrey in the game because that's how much Patterson had been struggling and, and how out of sync their offense was, but... It seems like Michigan's finally found something in the passing game. Running game's still been a bit of a struggle. They've they've only averaged four four yards exactly per carry this year, which ranks eighty fifth in the country. So this offense isn't shouldn't intimidate Ohio State. The way Ohio State has played on defense all year, it's hard to see Michigan suddenly putting up forty five points on the Buckeyes. But I do get the sense. Just from just from what we've heard from Michigan coaches and players this week and even leading up to this week, I do get the sense that Michigan has put a little bit more emphasis on this game than it has in past years. I think during the Urban Meyer era, I think Ohio State put so much emphasis on this game, and I don't think Michigan ever reciprocated that. I, I don't I think Michigan always kind of viewed this as an important game, but just a game, whereas Ohio State has viewed this as the game, and no matter what else is happening, this is the game, and we care about it all year long. And I, I still think Ohio State probably does that more than Michigan, but I do get the sense that Michigan has been looking forward to this game a little bit more than it has in past years, and that maybe they've got some tricks up their sleeves that they've been saving for this game, and that, that maybe they're going to they're gonna try to come out with a game plan that is a little different than anything we've seen on film in hopes of trying to turn the tables and trying to finally get a win against Ohio State that has eluded them for the past seven years. 
Yeah, I mean, it goes back to, I think they got shirts with 62 to 39 on them uh, way back in the spring. Um, it seems, like you said, that, that they're focusing on it more. It's a little interesting, too, that Ohio State uh, goes from Urban Meyer to, to Ryan Day. And obviously, listen, the focus on Michigan is the exact same. It, it, you, you sort of feel that. At the same time, <laughs> Urban Meyer is the kind of guy who... Uh, when Wyatt Davis was up there at the podium on Tuesday, Wyatt Davis on a, on a recruiting visit was wearing a blue tank top and uh, a recruiting staffer was a little worried for him to walk in there with that. So they made him put on a jacket, but still Urban Meyer found out. And when, when he uh, walked up to Wyatt Davis and told him to zip, zip a, uh, show, show what's under his jacket and he, Urban Meyer told him to never wear that again. And, and that's not really a joke. Like Urban Meyer lived and died with that. Um, and Ryan Day, he knows the importance of this game. That's why they do the exact same uh, preparation throughout the year, throughout the offseason, throughout the preseason, throughout the entire season uh, for, for the same game. At the same time, he maybe didn't grow up living and dying with it. He, he, he instead, uh, um, I think he learned the rivalry, which is fine. It's just, it's just different, and, it, and it's just a different way to, 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 to sort of understand the rivalry than maybe the past two Ohio State coaches have, um, have viewed it. Yeah, I think the reality is Ryan Day is not as personally invested into this rivalry, and I, and I actually think neither, he, Urban actually did kind of admit it this week that he cared more about the Michigan game than anything else. Ryan Day would yep. not admit this right now, but I think Ryan Day cares more about winning a national championship than he does about beating Michigan. At yep. least personally, I think that's what he cares about. He can't say that. He can't say that because as Ohio State's head coach, you cannot say anything other than the Michigan game is all that matters and it's the most important game of the year. But I do think Day isn't as personally invested in this game. I, I, I think Day is, is more... His ultimate goal is to win a national championship, as I think it it should be, and so I I, I think that's where the questions might come in. You know, people were even you know concerned yesterday because it's time for war. The song that Urban Meyer always played at the Woody Hayes Athletic Center wasn't playing there yesterday, so I don't know if if, if I don't know if Ryan Day is going to hype up this rivalry quite as much as Urban Meyer did, just because I don't think it's in his blood the way it was for Urban Meyer. But at the same time, I think Ryan Day certainly understands how much this game means to people. I think he he's proven that he knows how to win football games, and I think Ohio State is going to prepare for this game just as hard as they ever have. Uh, the culture... Ultimately, no matter who your head coach is, that culture of winning a rivalry game and winning these big games like this has to be built into the players, and I think it still is. I think people like Mickey Marotti behind the scenes are still playing a really big role in building that culture, and so I think Ohio State's going to be just as prepared, just as intense for this game as ever. I still though I, I think it's going to be a game. I think it's going to be a competitive game, and that, that really doesn't have anything to do with Ryan Day not having the same killer instinct against Michigan as Urban Meyer. It just has to do with, I think Michigan's playing good football right now, and I think this is one of the toughest tests of the year. I think going on the road and playing a team that's peaking at the right time is dangerous. And so 
I think Ohio State will win. I'm going to pick Ohio State to win because I think Ohio State is the better football team. But I'm not 100% confident in that. I, I, I do think that Michigan is going to give Ohio State a game, and I, and I won't be surprised at all if this ends up being a real battle for four quarters. No, I agree with that. I think the, the, the fascinating matchup that I'm really interested to see um, and it's because this is week 12, and I'm not sure that we've necessarily seen it yet, is Shea Patterson and Michigan's receivers against Ohio State's defensive backfield. Because if you look at the way that, that Ohio State's cornerbacks have played, Jeff Okuda is a potential top 10 pick. Sean Wade's a potential first-round pick. Dan Arnett's a potential second-round pick. Uh, Jordan Fuller will get drafted. Uh, he's an all-Big Ten performer. Um, yet at the same time, uh, we haven't necessarily seen them be be tested in the way that I think elite wide receivers and elite quarter quarterbacks do. And I'm not saying that that's what necessarily Shea Patterson is, but he's going to be someone who's going to test them because, like you said, Michigan's running game is not exactly spectacular. I mean, last week uh, against Indiana, they rushed for three yards per carry. I, I one I imagine that if I if if Ohio State holds them to three yards per carry, it's to me it's just really hard for me to imagine uh, Michigan getting enough consistently through the air uh, to 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 beat Ohio State. But uh, regardless of that, I think I think that I think that the way the way that Shea Patterson can can throw the ball downfield to I think there there are multiple there are multiple weapons. That, that he'll be able to, to, to put in use. If you look at Donovan Peoples-Jones and Nico Collins and Treat Black and, and Ronnie Bell, each of them, are, I think, are, are fairly dangerous in their own ways. Um, they have another tight end that, they, that they'll put to use. I think, I think, I think it could be the, the steepest challenge for the defensive backfield, yet at the same time, that, like I said, this is, a, this is a defensive backfield with, I think, three top two round picks and also, you have Chase Young rushing Shea Patterson, which I probably should have set up top. <laughs> yet, yet if that's if that's the if that's the card that you're playing last, I think I think that is what gives uh, a lot of reason for confidence that maybe uh, Shea Patterson and this Michigan offense can can slow down uh, what what they've been doing in the past month. Yeah, I agree with you, and I think this is probably the best group of receivers that Ohio State has faced all year, and I think. Michigan is capable of giving Ohio State some tests in a passing game that maybe they haven't faced this year. But I also think that absolutely your game plan should be to make Michigan beat you through the air. I think if if you can shut Michigan down in the run game... And, and, and a lot force, of teams have. Yeah, and, and, and I think Ohio State is certainly capable of the way Ohio State's run defense has played all year. And I think if Ohio State can do that, and force Shea Patterson to beat them with his arm, I, I think the odds are going to be very much in Ohio State's favor. Yeah, I, I agree with that. It's It seems to be another game, like the Penn State game, where I think Michigan might need some turnovers. It might need Ohio State to make some uncharacteristic errors. It'll need um, some big plays against an Ohio State secondary that really hasn't given them up. Um, on the other side of the ball, what do you, what do you think... How, how do you think Ohio State's offense stacks up against against Michigan's defense? This is a defense that looks a little bit different than the one last year. Yeah, I, I think Ohio State should should do well because we really haven't seen any defense that's been able to stop them. We, we've talked about 
We talked about it before with Michigan State. We talked about it with Wisconsin. We talked about it with Penn State. We talk about all these defense that are top-ranked and and they're supposed to be this really tough test, and, and really none of them have been able to slow down Ohio State. So I, I think... I don't think Ohio State's going to score 62 points. I think I think Michigan's going to have a better game plan this year, and and I think they're going to give Ohio State more tests. But I, I still think I think if Justin Fields is clicking in the passing game, and, and both he and J.K. Dobbins are making plays in a running game, this is an Ohio State offense that's, that's tough to stop on a consistent basis. And I still think Ohio, Ohio State's offensive talent is better than Michigan's defensive talent. Yep. The Wolverines, they, they have some good players, but actually in terms of a talent standpoint, they're not quite as talented as they were last year in terms of some of the guys that they lost to the NFL. Still some really good players on Michigan's defense, but I, I don't know that they're going to be able to, to stop Ohio State consistently in this game. I I see Ohio State scoring somewhere in the 30s range in this game is is the way I see it. I, I don't think Ohio State is going to pour on the points like it did a year ago, but I do think they're still going to make their plays. I think they're still going to get their yards on the ground. I, I think Justin Fields is going to make some plays for the year. And it's just going to be for Ohio State – First of all, like you said, they, they, they can't turn the ball over like they did last week. Because if they do that again, they might get beat. And if if they have a period of resistance, which I think they probably will, playing on the road, could be bad weather. I, I think there probably will come a point in this game where Ohio State goes a few drives without scoring. And it has to be able to bounce back from that. It can't it can't get out of its rhythm. It can't start forcing things. It it, it has to stick to what's worked for them all year. And I, I think if Ohio State if I think if Ohio State can just play its A game and stick to what's worked for it all year, it should win this game and probably win this game by two or three scores. But it, you definitely can't afford turnovers and and you can't make stupid mistakes against a Michigan team that seems to be surging at the right time. Yeah, and if you think Ryan Day doesn't doesn't love this matchup against Don Brown, you're wrong. Um, someone who's known for, for, for many years. It's someone who he respects a lot, and it's the team that, that is Ohio State's rival. Um, this, is, this is something I'm sure he, he, they, they never talk about uh, looking ahead to games, but I am, I'm certain Ryan Day's had uh, a lot of Michigan film on his desk this entire year, and I presume we're going to see a, li- a few different things that maybe we haven't seen or a few additions to plays um, that, that we haven't seen this entire year. And that, that's really the exciting part about watching Ryan Day offense is seeing just how he attacks a defensive coordinator like Don Brown. Yeah, we've seen that all year from Ohio State where it seems like they have some new wrinkles each and every week. I think they certainly will for this game. I think Michigan will too, though, and I think that's the thing to be on guard for is what is – what does Michigan have in its tank to give it a chance to to maybe exploit a weakness that we haven't seen anyone exploit? Because that's what they're going to have to do. It, it, for a team to beat Ohio State, they're going to have to find something that no team has found yet this season and, and find a way to exploit that on a regular basis. Can Michigan do that? I don't know. I think they have a better chance than just about anyone Ohio State has played this year. But... They're going to have to play their best football, and I think if Ohio State plays its best football, it should win. Yep, I agree with that. I think the talent advantage is in Ohio State's um, corner. I think that 
the way that Ohio State has shown with its coaching this year, I think that there's 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 absolutely no doubt in my mind that Ohio State should be more than more than a touchdown favorite against Michigan. We're running out of time here, so let's get to our reader questions for this week. Let's do it. Start starting with Seattle Linga. He asked, rank the Wolverine weaknesses starting with the areas that we'll be able to exploit. We already talked about this some. I think the rushing offense is probably Michigan's biggest weakness. So I think that's probably the biggest area Ohio State can exploit. Ohio State's been really strong against the run most of the year. But we have seen a few issues with quarterback run. I do think that's something Michigan could try to exploit because Ohio State has struggled with it. But I think overall, the the rushing offense is probably Michigan's biggest weakness. And I think that's probably an area that if Ohio State can shut them down in that regard, force Michigan to beat beat them through the air, I think even though Shea Patterson's played better, I think if Michigan has to rely on Shea Patterson to make too many plays with his arm in this game, that Ohio State will probably win. Yeah, that's that that is the one area that I would pick too, because in my mind, um, like Michigan, a, a team can't beat Ohio State's defense by only passing or only running. I think you just you have to have some sort of balance to move the ball down the field. I mean, last last week it was just like they were fine giving up a seven yard pass to Pat Fryermuth because Ohio State knew that. Penn State wouldn't complete 30 of those, and that's what they would have had to do to, 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 continue, to, to continue those drives down the field. Like Michigan, Michigan needs to wait, needs to find a way that it can balance the game. And the way that the way that Ohio State has defended the run, plus the way that Michigan has just been relatively ineffective on the ground, it's it's hard for me to see um, the the Wolverines gaining really any traction um, uh, with with their with their with their running backs. Um, that that to me is the one area that if Ohio State forces them to beat them through the air, I I just I, if if that happens, I'm, I it seems to me that Ohio State would be pretty much in control of that game. Gideon Juice asked a couple questions. He asked who who will have more this weekend, Justin Fields passing yards or J.K. Dobbins rushing yards? I'd go Justin Fields passing yards. I think I think they'll ask him to pass the ball more this week than they did last week, and I don't know, but I see J.K. Dobbins running for 200 yards against this defense. Yeah, I, w- I would pick Fields as well. It's just, um, <laughs> honestly, the safe bet. Yes, it is. Yeah, the odds would definitely be on Fields' as passing yards because typically the quarterback has more passing yards than the running back has yep. rushing yards. But I think both will play well. Also asked... Who will have more, Chase Young sacks or Shea Patterson interceptions? That one, I got to go Chase Young sack. Chase Young has not had a sack against Michigan yet in his career. I'll say he has at least two on Saturday. Yep, I'm going to go with Chase Young sacks too. I mean, he's averaging in the past two games three and a half sacks per game. So, um, yeah, I'm going to have to go with the one who has 16 and a half sacks this year. I don't, I I, I don't think Shea Patterson has 16 and a half interceptions. Yeah. Also, the safe bet there. Ginnon Juice also asked us for one bold prediction. I'm going to go with second year in a row, Ohio State freshman wide receiver will catch a touchdown. Garrett Wilson is going to catch a touchdown on Saturday. You know what? I'm going to choose the other five-star freshman, and I'm going to say uh, Zach Harrison gets a gets a sack against Michigan in Ann Arbor. And uh, that that would probably hurt Michigan fans a little bit, knowing that, that they were they were recruiting him down to the wire. Bartholomew asked us, 
What are the best and worst Thanksgiving side dishes? I'm a big I'm a big mashed potatoes guy. I've always been a big mashed potatoes guy. How about you, Colin? Danny just took the words right out of my mouth. That is exactly the one that I would pick. I should have known that considering on our last road trip, we got a late dinner and Colin just ordered a plate of mashed potatoes. <laughs> I forgot about that. But yeah. No, I had some midnight mashed potatoes after after the Rutgers game. I think we all need uh all need a little bit of help and some some sort of food after watching that one. Yeah, mashed potatoes are up there. So I'm a I'm a big stuffing guy too. I, I I don't know what I've really thought about a worst. I'm not I'm not too picky, so I like a little bit of everything. I mean, he asked us um, if Shea Patterson was a Thanksgiving side dish. Would he be green bean casserole or cranberry relish? And I'm just going to be totally honest and throw out that I don't really like either. I like I like cranberry relish. My my mom makes a really good uh, cranberry cranberry orange relish. She always makes. Uh, for holidays that I grew up on that is really, really good. So I'm a big fan of that. Green bean casserole I'm fine with, but can certainly do without. So if the idea here is to pick one that we're not a fan of, I'm going to go with green bean casserole. Yeah, and you know what? I'm I'm equal opportunist. I am not a fan of either of them. Fair enough. Fair enough. Port Rishi Buckeye asks us, why does Michigan always suck? (laughs) <laughs> I think I'm just gonna. Lo- I think I- I'm guessing we could just throw that one out to our commenters, and they'll have plenty of answers for that. Yeah, yeah, I think that they've got that one under control. Silver Sniper asks, "Let's pretend Ohio State, LSU, Clemson, Utah, Oklahoma, and Alabama all went out in impressive fashion, and and Rob Mullins makes an announcement that Colin and I have to select who makes the playoffs this year." Who do you collectively select in this hugely important role of replacement committee? And we have to come to a consensus like the committee does. Does that well, mean that I, one of us has to do the uh, the conference call and, and talk to Reese Davis or something like that? I think so. I, th- I, I, I think so. I'll, I'll, I'll take that bullet. All right, good. But, but uh, I think we could both collectively agree if Ohio State, LSU, and Clemson went out, they're all going to be in the playoff. Yes, thank you, Silver Sniper, for making that part easy. Yes, that part's easy. The big question is number four. To me, my my opinion is if Utah, Oklahoma both win out, they both be twelve and one conference champions. Alabama will be eleven and one without a conference championship, and they don't have their best player. So, and they I'm don't have the Alabama wins out. to really. Yeah, and, and they don't Correct. have really the wins to stack up where it, it would make up for that. So do we agree we'd both eliminate Alabama first there? Yes. Yeah. So we're deciding between Utah and Oklahoma. I would go with Utah because I think Utah is the more well-rounded team. They've been one of the best defensive teams in the country. They've also, for the most part, have been winning their games convincingly, whereas Oklahoma has had a lot of games where they've almost lost against teams that are not that great. So... My pick would be Utah. Where are you at on that, Colin? I think I would do the same. Like you said, listen, the eye test is, is, is hard to, to get a gauge on what the eye test is. But to me, the eye test has always been, like, are you just beating up teams? And and uh, Utah has done a better job of that than Oklahoma. Uh, I think they would both be conference champions. I think their wins would stack up. I would, I would probably go Utah, too. One thing I would ask, um, we... Rob Mullins loves to talk about the, the, the completeness of teams. Um, 
And it's interesting because Ohio State fans love to talk about the completeness of this team, yet last year, I think there was a lot of people who were wondering why that was such a big deal. Um, Ohio State was not necessarily a complete team last year with its defense um, and and the fact that its offense was really good and everybody knew about its defense. I I just wonder in your mind, why why do you think completeness matters um, when when selecting? I think it matters... I think it matters when these schedules are comparable. I think ultimately they're going to go back to looking at schedules and who has the bigger wins or the least bad losses and and, and such. But I think that when the schedules are comparable, then they're going to look more at balance. They're going to look more at who the most complete team is. And I think, again, I think when you look at Utah and Oklahoma – I think that's another situation where you can look at that because I I think Oklahoma I think both both teams have a a not good loss <laughs> Utah losing to to USC and, and and Oklahoma losing to Iowa State and then to Kansas State I think oh Kansas State my bad they've had so many of those close games that I mixed them up but but same difference there we're talking about a mediocre team. And then you also add in that Oklahoma barely beat Iowa State. They barely beat TCU. They needed a massive comeback to beat Baylor. Whereas Utah, other than that one game, for the most part, has just been controlling their games. I think it hurts Utah a little bit that Oregon lost last week because it, it they don't have that chance for that top 10 win. And I think that improves Oklahoma's chances. But I think if Utah goes and, and beats Oregon and especially if they do so in impressive fashion, I think that's what they need to prove that they belong in the field. I could see it going either way. It's going to be an interesting decision for the committee if both of those teams went Dan, out. But Dan, I do we, are, we are the committee, remember. Yeah, well, I'm pick, I am already said I'm picking Utah. All right, good, good, I already good. said I'm picking Utah, so I, 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 think, I think it should be, should be Utah. But I do think it's going to be an interesting – conversation i i also to be quite honest don't think either of those teams are going to come close to beating ohio state lsu or clemson because i think ohio state lsu and clemson are better than both of those teams by a wide margin and i i i think if ohio state plays either of those teams i'm probably picking ohio state to win big yep i am too and as a committee member i think we are going to set that one up to be utah taking the l all right We'll go with Utah as the number four seed and move forward here. NH Buckeye asks, what about Michigan worries the most for Saturday? We kind of already talked about it, but I, I think, you know, to me, I think the fact that they're, they're peaking at the right time, they, they seem to be, they seem to be clicking at the right time and playing in front of a home crowd uh, I think there's certainly a sense of urgency up there in Ann Arbor that they really want to win this game. And then add in the fact that I think they, I think their preparation is going to be better than it was last year, and I think they might have some different st- wrinkles in their game plan that maybe they haven't had in past years. I, I think Michigan, my, my feeling is, and granted, I picked Michigan to win last year, so I could be completely wrong. But my feeling is 
that I think Michigan I think Michigan is going to come in with a level of preparation and a game plan that it will be good enough to win this game, but it will come down to whether Ohio State plays up to its ability. And if Ohio State plays up to its ability, I think Ohio State will win. If Ohio State turns the ball over and makes careless mistakes, it might lose. Yeah, it's it's hard it's hard to necessarily pick one thing that uh, like one specific maybe position group that 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 should have Ohio State fans concerned the most because if I look around, I think Ohio State really has the edge at talent and production at pretty much every single position um, in every single matchup. If I were to say one, I, I one thing that I would just say maybe it's not the thing that should be concerning. It's maybe a thing that's interesting to me is I just I, I want to see Greg Madison and Jeff Halfley's defense against Josh Gaddis and 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 that offense um, because these are two staffs that these are two coordinators or at least I guess three coordinators who have who are um, I was gonna say coaching this game for the first time. But then I realized Greg Madison is definitely not coaching this game for the first time. But he at least is at Ohio State, um, and it and I'm really interested to see how uh, how those matchups um, will be scheme wise. I think we have an idea of um, what a Ryan Day versus Don Brown game looks like, but we don't necessarily have an idea of what a Jeff Halfley Greg Madison game uh, against um, against Josh Gaddis would look like. And and that to me is what I'm I'm looking forward to seeing of of whether there are any new wrinkles on, on either side there. Buck Yes asked us about Rashad Berry and why the Buckeyes are using him on defense, as we have seen for the last three weeks. It, it just strikes him as odd that with all the defensive talent available, they would turn to him, especially when you consider that he was moved to tight end two years ago. Why are, why are they using him on defense? Well, Well, first of all, Ohio State wouldn't be playing him on defense if it didn't believe that it it was helping them. Rashad Berry, he was in the game on in pass rushing situations against Penn State, played five plays, but he was in the game late in the fourth quarter when they're trying to finish out the game, game on the line. He he was out there in in pass rushing situations, so Ohio State wouldn't be putting him in that situation if it didn't believe that he could make an impact for him, but. First of all, I think he really wanted to play on defense. I think he's been lobbying for that for a while. And I think with Jonathan Cooper making the decision to redshirt, which we didn't get a chance to talk about today, but that cuts into their defensive end depth. And Chase Young was out for a couple weeks. Tyreek Smith has been off and on with injuries. I think they just felt that they could use another piece in that defensive end rotation. And and one thing we actually saw in this last game for a couple plays that we hadn't seen all year was actually a true Rushman package where they had four defensive ends on the field and they had Rashad Berry and Zach Harrison playing as defensive tackles inside. They've also used Berry in kind of a three-man front as a free-four defensive end. And I think with his athleticism, his size... He's somebody who's all, always been one of the most physical freaks on the team. I think he offers some upside there that maybe a guy like a Tyler Friday doesn't in a pass rushing situation, just in terms of athleticism and explosiveness. And I think because he's the third tight end on the depth chart right now, he's still playing on offense, but they can afford to play him on defense some too. And I think 
they don't want to play guys like Kate Stover and Noah Potter right now and, and burn their red shirts. And a guy like Alex Williams just isn't quite ready to be playing in big game situations. So I think they felt like in a situational role, Rashad Berry could help them. And we'll see how they continue to use him down the stretch. But I, I think they just felt like at this point in his career, he was the best option for a couple of those situational packages they're trying to run. Yeah, he's a he's a third tight end who isn't going to be playing seventy snaps a game. Who isn't who who's going to be relatively fresh. Who is a physical freak who can rush the passer like that. It uh, to me, it's pretty simple. I think I think that's pretty much what it is. Is they don't they they don't necessarily burn him out on offense. He's still pretty he's still pretty well rested, and they think that he can make an impact as a pass rusher on defense. And I think his role will not expand much on defense beyond what it is as a situational pass rusher. They're not going to start putting him out there on first down to stop the run. He's only been in there in what have basically been obvious pass rushing situations, and I think that's all he's going to be. But I think they just feel that using him in that role, he offers more upside than, than some of the other guys that could be playing in that role at this point. Final question comes to us from Max Vamoose, and that's, how much longer can Harbaugh continue to lose to Ohio State in the bowl games? And we talked about that a little bit earlier, but I think that's a good question. I think certainly if Michigan loses again on Saturday, there's going to be questions. And it doesn't seem like he's on the hot seat quite yet, but at some point he's got to win that game against Ohio State if, if he's going to keep his job. And, and that's why I said earlier, not that this game isn't important to Ryan Day in Ohio State, but I do think this game is more important to Jim Harbaugh in Michigan than it is to Ohio State because 0-5 against Ohio State is not a good look if you're Michigan's head coach. And I think for Michigan to be a real contender, to gain real momentum, this is the game above all others that they have to prove they can win. Yeah, and I will say maybe a, maybe a month ago or so, it almost seemed like there was resignation from Michigan fans that they would have no chance against Ohio State. And now the fact that regardless of what led to there being an only an 11.1 against uh, Penn State, that they didn't necessarily blow the doors off of Penn State on the scoreboard in the way that they did um, throughout the rest of the year. And the fact that Michigan has played better as of late, I think, has led maybe there to be a little bit more hope that that Michigan can win. But ultimately, like this, I mean, you said like the this game, they they ha- he has to win one of these, right? Like you can't just be the Michigan head coach for a decade and never beat never beat Ohio State. Like at some point, you either have to win or or, or you're gonna have to move on at some point. And and I don't imagine if they lost this one that 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 all of a sudden people would be calling for his job um, in, in a massive way that would lead him to, to not be Michigan's head coach. But, I mean, got to do it sometime, right? You have to. Yeah, I think I think if you lose this game, the seat has to start to heat up. And especially like Maximus suggested, if, if he loses this game and loses another bowl game, then I think it would really start to heat up. And I, I do. I think at some point he has to win this game. And it also depends on how it goes, too. If, if – if, if Michigan loses a close game on Saturday, it, the seat probably doesn't warm up that much. If, if if Michigan gets blown out like they did last year, then I think the seat really does start to get warm. And, and I don't think Michigan is going to make a change this year. And I I think one reason for that is I just don't know if there's an, obvi- there's an obvious choice out there where it, they're not going to fire Jim Harbaugh unless they really feel like 
they've got a better choice to replace him. And right now, I'm just not sure that there's that obvious choice out there for them right now. But I, I do think, I think if, if if he loses this game and, 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 and Michigan falls to 0-5 with him as head coach against Ohio State, at least going into next year, that seat's really got to be starting to get warm because at some point, you've got to, if you're a Michigan head coach, just like if you're the Ohio State head coach, you got to win the rivalry game. Yeah, and in the same way that um, I think maybe Urban Meyer, when he was sitting out there, Ohio State, all of a sudden it looked like it, it just made sense, and, and he, was, he was the name that people would talk about. Jim Harbaugh was that guy for Michigan for, for so right. many years, and he's supposed to be the savior, and if he's not the savior, I'm not sure who is, and I'm not sure if anyone in there knows who would be. Um, and until they really know that, um, at least – at least from a Michigan perspective, he's winning nine games a year. At least he's not, he's not, he's, he hasn't made them an atrocity. Um, but yeah, I mean, he, he, you can't go 0 and 10 against Ohio State and still be the coach, at least in my mind. I mean, he's already, he's already surpassed this, uh, in a way that I never expected when he, when he became that coach. I thought Michigan would suddenly rise to Ohio State's level and this would be a, this would be a decade long battle where maybe they'd go 5 and 5 and, Right now, it certainly doesn't seem to be on that path. It certainly doesn't. It certainly, it certainly doesn't right now. But uh, we'll see what happens Saturday because I think it's going to be a very interesting game in Ann Arbor. We will be there. We'll have full coverage at 11warriors.com of Saturday's game. And we'll have a lot to talk about next week on RealPod Wednesdays because the Big Ten Championship game is next week. We'll certainly be discussing whatever happens on Saturday in Ann Arbor. And we'll look forward to talking to you next week. We hope everybody has a good Thanksgiving and enjoys the game on Saturday coming up at noon on Fox between the Buckeyes and the Wolverines. And we'll talk to you guys again next week. Thanks so much for hanging in with us and listening in. And we'll talk to you soon.